chapter thirty four of the maid of scar this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the maid of scar by r d blackmore chapter thirty four waiting and learning what this great man now said to me had better not be set down perhaps because it proved him incapable of forming due estimate of my character enough that he caused me some alarm and considerable annoyance by his supercilious vein and assumption of evil motives whereas you could not find anywhere pure or loftier reasons and i might say more poetical ones than those which had led me to abstain from speaking of the fair young lady however as this chowne had learned all about her from some skulking landsman whom he maintained as a spy at the back of the premises it was certain that i could in no way harm her by earning a trifle of money in front in a thoroughly open and disciplined way and it might even lie in my power thereby to defeat the devices of enemies and rescue this beautiful young female from any one who would dare to think of presuming to injure her i found my breast and heart aglow with all the fine feeling of younger days the moment the above occurred to me and it would not have cost me two blows to knock down any man who misunderstood me however his reverence did not afford me any chance for this exercise but seemed to allow me the benefit which such ideas afford a man and promised to give me three half-crowns instead of five shillings a week as before he allowed me a hayloft to sleep in that night after taking good care that i had not even a flint to strike a light with for cordially as he did enjoy the firing of an enemy's barns or stacks his reverence never could bear the idea of so much as a spark coming near his own and the following morning i saddled my horse with a good chain undergirding and taking turn and turn about got home to the rose of devon and here i found very unjust work fuzzy gone and ike not to be found and the ketch laid up for the winter only bang the boy was left and the purpose of his remaining was to bear me a wicked message namely that i had been so much away both in the boat and on horseback that the captain would not be bound to me except to get home again how i might and if this could not be brought about and i chose to take care of the catch for the winter two shillings a week was what i might draw also the wood on the wharf so long as it would last for firing and any fish i could catch with lines and any birds i could shoot on the river with a stone of rock powder that was in the hold bang was ashamed to deliver this message and i cannot describe to you my wrath as slowly i wrung it out of him his head went into his neck almost for fear of my taking it by the handles which nature had provided in his two ears and letting him learn as done once before that the mast had harder knots in it but i always scorn injustice and bang was not to be blamed for this so i treated him kindly as i might wish a boy of my own to be treated by a man of large experience and i let him go home to his mother's house which was said to be somewhere within a league and then i went to see what manners had been shown in the pickling tub 
here i found precious little indeed and only the bottom stuff of coxcombs tails and nails and overharpings thready bits and tapeworm stuff such as we pray deliverance from unless it comes to famine nevertheless in my now condition i grieved that there was not more of it because how could i get across to my native land again all the small coasting craft were laid up as if they were china for shelving immediately after that gale of wind which but for me must have capsized us these fellows up the rivers never get a breath of seamanship sudden squalls are all they think of sea-room and the power of it they would be afraid of at one time i thought of walking home because none of these traders would venture it and if i had only a guinea to start with on the road to bristol nothing could have stopped me for say what i might to myself about it and reason however carefully i could not reconcile with my conscience these things that detained me the more i considered only three half-crowns and the mere chance of wild ducks on the river the less i perceived how my duty lay and the more it appeared to be movable and why was i bound to stop here like this when their place was to take me home again according to stipulation to apply to the mayor as i knew was useless especially now that i owed him a bill as for the bench of magistrates one had already a bias against me because i went into a wood one night to watch an eclipse of the moon and took my telescope which they all swore was a gun being disappointed with the moon's proceedings i slammed up my telescope hastily and at the same time puffed my pipe and there was a fellow on watch so vile as to swear to the sound and the smoke of a gun and this fellow proved to be a welshman of the name of llewellyn and a cousin of mine within seven generations i acquit him of knowing this fact at the time and when in cross-examination i let him know it and nobody else he came back to his duty and swore white all the black he had sworn before nevertheless i did not like it though acquitted amidst universal applause on account of the notoriety and finding him one night upon the barge walk and his manners irritating i was enabled to impress him with a sense of consanguinity and after that i might bear my telescope and take observations throughout the coverts whenever the pheasants did not disturb me this privilege and a flight of wild ducks followed by a team of geese and rumours even of two wild swans moderated my desire to be back at home again there no man can get a shot except in very bitter weather or when the golden plovers come in unless he likes to take on himself a strong defiance of public opinion because colonel lougher is so kind and so forbears to prosecute that to shoot his game is no game at all and shames almost any man afterwards and the glory of all that night-work is the sense of wronging somebody moreover a little thing occurred which in my doubt of conclusion led me to stay a bit longer some people may think nothing of it but a kind touch takes a hold on me i have spoken of a boy by the name of bang possessing many good qualities yet calling for education of this i had given him some little administered not to his head alone but to more influential quarters and the result was a crop of gratitude watered by humility when he went home for the winter months i expected to hear no more of him having been served in that manner often by boys whom i have corrected therefore all who have ever observed the want of thankfulness in the young will enter into my feelings when an ancient woman 
bang's grandmother hailed me in a shaky voice over the side of my catch with bang in the distance watching her between her feet was a good large basket which with my usual fine feeling i leaped out to ease her of but on no account would she let me touch it until she knew more about me be you the man she said madam i answered i be the man the man as goes on so wicked to bang for the sake of his soul hereafter yes madam i am he who clothed in the wholesome garb of severity a deep and parental affection for now i smell something uncommonly good be you the chap as walloped him that i can proudly say i am look ye see here this be for e then with no common self-approval i observed what she turned out although i longed much to unpack them myself for fear of her spoiling anything but she put me back in a wholesale manner and spread it all out like an market-stand and really it was almost enough to make a market of for she was a very wiry old woman and bang had helped carry as far as the wharf when he saw me and fled especially did i admire a goose fat with golden fat upon him trussed and laid on stuffing herbs also a little pig for roasting too young to object to it yet with his character formed enough to make his brains delicious and as for sausages but no more the goodness of these things preserved me from going off on the tramp just yet that is the last thing a sailor should do though gifted with an iron-tipped wooden leg the government drove me into it once when my wound allowed me to be discharged but it took more out of my self-respect than ever i have recovered and if i do anything under the mark which to my knowledge i never do it dates from the time the king drove me to alms however i never do dwell upon that unless there is something wrong down in my hold and when that is right i am thankful again and none of that ever befalls me when i get my rations regular but who cares to hear any more about me with all these great things coming on you may look on me now as nobody because i fell so much beneath my own idea of myself and all that others said of me through my nasty want of strength when parson chowne came over me it is easy enough to understand that a man in good nature may knock under to another man of good nature also all in friendship and in fun and for the benefit of the world but for a man of intellect not so very far under the average as will now be admitted of me in spite of all inborn diffidence as well as a man of a character formed and framed by experience now to be boarded and violently driven under hatches without any power to strike a blow by a man who was never on board of a ship at any rate to my knowledge to think of this and yet not help it made me chafe like a fellow in irons there was one thing however that helped to make me put up my present position a little and that was my hope to be truly of service to my genuine benefactor poor sir philip bampfylde this old gentleman clearly was not going on very comfortably and parson chowne had given me to understand without any words that the great chest landed at the end of his house was full of arms and all other treason these were to be smuggled in after the captain's departure and the captain would not enter the house through fear of the servants suspecting something i could not reconcile this account with what i had seen the young lady do and the captain's mode of receiving it but as i would not tell the parson a word about that young lady i could not make 
that objection to him nor did i say though i might have done so that i would not and could not believe for a moment that any british naval captain would employ his ship and crew for a purpose of high treason to his lawful master that parson chowne should dare to think that i would swallow such stuff as that made me angry with myself for not having contradicted him but all this time i was very wise and had no call to reproach myself seldom need any man repent for not having said more than he did and never so needeth a welshman and now though i still took observation of narnton court as in honour bound to deserve my salary and though the parson still rode down and went the round of the deck at times when nobody could expect him yet it was not in my nature to be kept from asking something as to all these people you may frighten a man and scare his wits and keep him under and trample on him and even beat his feelers down and shut him up like a jellyfish but after all this if he is a man he will want to know the reason for this makes half of the difference between man and the lower animals the latter when punished accept it as a thing that must befall them and so do the negroes and all proper women but a man always wants to know why it must be though it greatly increases his trouble to ask and still more to tell it again if you please sir philip bampfylde as every one said was a very nice gentleman indeed the head of an ancient family and the owner of a large estate kind moreover and affable though perhaps a little stately from having long held high command and important rank in the army some years ago he had attained even to the rank of general which is the same thing among land forces as an admiral is with us and he was so proud of this position that he always wished to be so addressed rather than by the title which had been so long in the family for his argument was that he had to thank good fortune for being a baronet whereas good conduct and perseverance alone could have made him a general now if these had made him a general i would always entitle him so as it is i shall call him sir philip or general just as may happen to come to my mind now this gentleman had two sons and no other children the elder was philip bampfylde esq and the younger captain drake bampfylde of whom i have spoken already philip the heir had been appointed to manage the family property which spread for miles and miles away and this gave him quite enough to do because his father for years and years was away on foreign service and during this time squire philip married a lady of great beauty sent home by his father from foreign parts after rescue from captivity she was a very good extraction so far as foreigners can be and a princess they said in her own right though without much chance of getting it and she spoke the prettiest broken english being very sensitive well everything thus far went purely enough and the lady had brought him a pair of twins and was giving good promise of going on and everybody was pleased with her and most of all her husband and sir philip was come home from governorship but only on leave of absence and they were trying hard to persuade him now to retire and live in peace when who should come with his evil luck to spoil everything but drake bampfylde how it came to pass was not clearly known at least to the folk on our side of the river or those whom i met in barnstaple and i durst not ask on the further side that is to say around narnton court because the parson's spies were there only the old women felt pretty sure that they had heard say though it might be wrong that captain drake bampfylde had drowned the children some said by accident some said on purpose and buried them somewhere on braunton burrows 
and the effect of this on the foreign lady being as she was poor thing might have been foreseen almost for she fell into untimely pains and neither herself nor her babe survived exactly as happened to my son's wife this was a very sad story i thought but they said that the worst of it still lay behind for poor squire philip had been so upset by the hurry of all these misfortunes that nobody knew what to do with him he always had been a most warm-hearted man foolishly fond of his wife and children and of a soft and retiring nature moreover he looked on his younger brother who had seen so much more of the world than himself and was of a bolder character not with an elder son's usual carelessness but with a thorough admiration and when he found him behave in this manner according at least to what every one said and all for the sake of the property without a sharp word between them it went to his heart in the thick of his losses so that he was beside himself he let his beard grow and his hair turn white although he was not yet forty and he put up the shutters of his room and kept candles around him and little dolls he refused to see his brother drake and his father sir philip and everybody except his own attendant and the nurse of his poor children and finding this the captain left the house as if cursed out of it the only one who took things bravely was the ancient general much as he grieved at the loss of his race and extinction perhaps of the family he swore that he never would be cast down or doubt the honour of his favourite son until that son confessed it this drake bampfylde had never done although the case was hard against him and scarcely any one except his father now stood up for him but of the few who still held him guiltless one was a special comforter isabel carey to wit a young lady of very good devonshire family left as a ward to sir philip bampfylde and waiting for three or four years more of age to come into large estates in south devon the general people did not know this but i happened to get ahead of them and having a knack in my quiet way of putting two and two together also having seen the captain and shaped my opinions i would have staked my boat against a cuttlefish that he was quite innocent if the children were found buried although i could never quite get at this but only a story of a man who had seen him doing it as i shall tell hereafter but even supposing them deep in the sand which i was a little inclined to do from trusting my spy-glass so thoroughly yet there might have been other people quite as likely to put them there as that unlucky captain drake it has been my lot to sail under a great many various captains not only whom i have hinted at in the days when i was too young for work but whom i mean to describe hereafter in my far greater experiences really finding although i have tried to convince people to the contrary that what they have told me was perfectly true and that i come out far stronger and better whenever my reins are tried and proved and my loins as sound as a bell although hereditary from king david let that pass i find one fault and it is the only one to be found with me it is that the style of our bards will come out and spread me abroad in their lofty allusions to come back to these captains i never found one who would do such a thing as kill and slay two children much less dig their graves in the sand and come home to dinner afterwards and of all the captains i had seen drake bampfylde seemed as unfit as any to do a thing of that dirtiness however as i have not 
too much trust in human nature after the way it has used me and worst of all when in the government i said to myself that it was important to know at what time this captain bampfylde won the love of that fine miss carey because after that he had no temptation to put the little ones out of the way and i quite settled it in my own mind that if they had set up their horses together before the young children went out of the world captain drake bampfylde was not likely to have made them go so for that fair maiden's estates i was told would feed four hundred people no one had seen this exactly as i did nor could i beat it into them and i found from one or two symptoms that it was high time for me to leave off talking parson chowne came down one night as black as a tarred thunderbolt and though he said nothing to let me know i felt afraid of his meaning also parson jack rode down in his headlong careless way and filled his pipe from my tobacco-bag and gave me a wink and said keep your mouth shut it was always a pleasure to me to behold him whatever his principles may have been and if i could have said a word to stop him from his downward road or to make it go less sudden goodness knows i would have done it at the risk of three half-crowns a week End of chapter 34